This podcast is a product of the Hyper RPG Podcasting Network. Visit hyperrabbitpowergo.com to learn more. Welcome to How to Create Your Own Campaign in Your Favorite IP panel here at Gen Con Online 2020. I am Matt Acevedo. I am so excited to be here uh, with an amazing panel for you guys. We have a lot to talk about, a lot of really talented creators here who have done a, worked on a lot of great stuff and great IPs that we are all familiar with. Um, we're, I'm going to be asking questions from you guys at the end of the panel. So start thinking of those now, uh, and we'll have like 30 minutes allotted to giving you guys those questions answered. Um, before we get started, though, make sure, this is very, very important, guys, make sure that you turn in your tickets, your, your digital tickets uh, in so that you can give an accurate headcount to Gen Con. And you can find that, uh, the module drop the link right now, and you can find that on the Gen Con event page. So turn that ticket in, please. I'll remind you again later, but for now, do it right now. And without further ado, everybody, please welcome. Let's get some hype in the chat and help me welcome to the panel, the amazing panelists for today's panel. We have Burt Jennings, Malika Lim, Eubank, Naive Stewart, Abria Iyengar, Eric Campbell, and Emily Rose Jacobson. You guys, welcome to the panel. Thank you so much for being here. How's every? How are you guys? Everyone feel good? Yeah, doing all right. Yep. Yeah, man. Doing all right. Feeling Sweet. great. Excellent, guys. Let's go ahead and get into it. Before we start, I know you guys have worked on a lot of different properties. Let's go ahead. I want to hear, um, just explain what you guys have been working on, uh, what have you worked on, and if there's anything coming up in the works that you can talk about. Uh, let's go ahead and start with Bert. Hey, everyone. Uh, Bert, yeah, you probably see me from Pencils of Parsecs, which was a Star Wars-themed uh, RPG campaign here in Hyper, uh, set in the classic era. Probably also have uh, heard me on Mass Effect Eventum, which is our Mass Effect-themed uh, RPG. Uh, yeah. Nice. Heck yeah. What about you, Malika? Hi, I'm currently working on a lot of contracts. Um, <laughs> but you might have seen me GMing and creating the system for Power Rangers Hyperforce. That was a lot of fun. I've also done some one shots, Xeno Warrior Princess, Avatar The Last Airbender, and a bunch of other things I don't even remember. Uh, but I'm uh, the co-founder of Hyper RPG, and you always can find me Monday through Friday, sometimes even Saturday and Sunday, like today, on the Hyper RPG Twitch channel. Heck yeah, heck yeah, guys. Naeem, my friend. Look at me and Naeem go way back. What's that, <laughs> we go way back. <laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, hey, uh, hey, everyone. I'm, I'm obviously Naeem, and I've uh, been on multiple things with Hyper. Uh, more, most recently, Witcher, Witcher RPG, uh, GM by Emily, and uh, now uh, recently on uh, Mass Effect Adventure with Bert and Emily, of course, and Matt. <laughs> That's about it. Heck yeah. Uh, Abria, what's up, dude? Hey, how you doing? I'm doing. How you doing? <laughs> I'm good. Thank you. Excellent. Uh, yeah, I'm Bria Iyengar. I uh, stream and GM all over the place, and I think my my best experiences uh, with playing in other IPs are usually at like hyperdrives. And uh, <laughs> I've done like Fast and Furious. I've also done X Men and uh, Into the Spider Verse. Is the game I'm currently playing in. Man, that's rad. Yeah. <laughs> Eric Campbell, Mr. Eric Campbell, how hey. are you, sir? I'm good. How you doing, man? Every time Man. I get that question asked, I'm like, I'm even better than than I was. Do I be honest or do I just keep my chin up? <laughs> What's up, Eric? What have you been working on, buddy? Um, well, these days I'm working on a Star Trek Adventures live play called Clear Skies, and we just launched our Klingon campaign, Blood of the Void, and uh, currently developing a game called uh, 
well, it's it's Predation, which is Monty Cook uh, Games, their their game setting. We're about to launch that show coming up pretty soon. So that's what I'm currently juggling right now. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing, man. Very very cool. And last but certainly not least, Emily Rose Jacobson. How Hello. You, what have you been I'm, up to? Ah, uh, Gen Con, Gen Con, nonstop Gen Con, as like so many other of our panelists are are experiencing as well. So weird. Even though it's online, it is still as busy as uh, I feel as busy as I would be if we were in person. Uh, hi, <laughs> I am Emily Rose Jacobson, also known as Gemily. Uh, I have GM'd the official Rat Queens RPG here on Hyper RPG, and most recently I did the Witcher RPG using the R Talisorian game system, and currently. Yes, I am in Mass Effect Adventum uh, with Matt, Burt, and Naeem. Yeah, well, welcome everyone. Welcome, my amazing panelists. Uh, uh, and for me, I'm Matt Acevedo. I used to work at Hyper RPG and at Geek and Sundry. Um, I've you been still in work a lot with of us sometimes. That's true. I still <laughs> work with you guys. Yeah, we still do some fun stuff, dude. Um, but yeah, I've done a bunch of crazy stuff. I I uh, GM'd, uh, GM'd an official Valiant Comics uh, Vanquished episode. <laughs> it's canon, unfortunately. <laughs> because Zach was super busy. Um, so, <laughs> well, let's go ahead and get into this, guys. Um, let's jump into this panel. Let's start off with a question. What inspired you to create a campaign in a pre-existing IP? Um, you know, I know there's a lot of inspiration for everyone, and so I want to know what got you to create that certain IP. So let's go ahead and start with Bert. Oh, uh, yeah. Star Wars has just been a huge part of my life uh, from the get-go. It started with, uh, I think a lot of people started with D&D. For me, I started with the Wizards of the Coast uh, RPG system, uh, mainly because my family was like, no, you, D&D is bad, but it's the exact same thing except star wars but they just didn't understand that so because of that loophole i feel like i snuck in and i just played star wars campaigns all throughout high school and and college and then just kind of stopped and then what got me into pencils and parsecs was just uh i got a call from zach being like hey man we're gonna do this thing and hector says that uh, he had a lot of fun playing in your home game like you want to run this and i'm like yeah this sounds great and then pencils and parsecs was one of the most amazing experiences ever so star wars star wars is 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 king for me so there it is heck yeah man Malika, what about you oh man so i've always loved the power rangers franchise and also like the whole magical girl super team anime people genre and even before i even knew about tabletop rpgs i spent two years of my high school life the prime years of my life it's all been downhill since then making a power rangers homage slash parody so i already love the world so much that i wanted to play in it so you know if you can't be an official power ranger i figured in high school <laughs> i'll just make my own movie i mean that's a great way to go about it and it, like it turned do. out it turned out really well i mean hyperforce was like amazing so congratulations oh uh, thanks Seriously. yeah man uh and let's go ahead what about you naeem uh yeah so uh, i always loved the mass effect franchise and i remember specifically while we were working at hyper pencil parsecs just ended and uh i see bert in the back just relaxing and i was like bert you wanna <laughs> you wanna do like a, another rpg within the mass effect universe his eyes just brighten up and he's like yes so yeah <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I, I i've always been interested in jumping in that universe and just make creating stories so yeah heck yeah abria uh 
my very first uh, jump into other IP was uh, doing X-Men in the masks PBTA uh, system. And I, I actually really liked it because I feel like you can play, like there are lots of systems that are built to broadly approximate a lot of big IPs. And I think it's just this very fun exercise to like narrow in and especially with a group that's like hyper knowledgeable about any given IP to see how close you can get to like, no, this very much could be a comic and like sort of having characters and scenarios like dead to rights is just this, there's this extra layer on top of it that just feels really good when you feel like you actually nailed it and you're not just like, an approximation of storm but feels very like grounded in like accepted group reality of canon it's yeah i totally agree that's awesome eric my friend what about you oh i'm i, I was just thinking about this and i was talking to you guys about this right before we went live but i was yeah. just realizing the sheer volume of like ips that i have <laughs> run games in because i thought the answer to that question would immediately be jumping into how shield of tomorrow came about but the truth is is the first games i ran on live stream were with pit crew with Ryan and, and Amir and Dustin and we were playing Firefly and Star Wars. Um oh yeah. It, yeah. Wow, it was, that's crazy. That's, yeah, that was that was a while back. And uh I think what's and then the next one I did was Doctor Who and then Star Trek. So for me the staple has been Star Trek and what drew me into that was I kind of felt like the channel I was on, I kind of felt like D D was covered. So I was like, I should look for something a little off base and I just thought well Star Trek is kind of what gave birth to the sci-fi nerd in me uh, my, my grandfather had given me a VHS tape with Star Trek movies on it that he got from a garage sale and I watched it religiously and um, and I was just really lucky because Modifius happened to be publishing the Star Trek Adventures game that like right as I was like putting my feelers out to find out if we could run it so yeah one thing led to the next and I got sort of to play my own Star Trek fantasy which is a dream come true yeah, man. And once again, you absolutely crush. I mean, you have like several different, you know, series of discs on it. So I think you're, I mean, you're like the king of Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> For your guys' sake, I hope that's not true. But <laughs> <laughs> Emily, what about you? Yeah. So uh, I was a bit of a baby GM when Hyper and Zach and Malika reached out to me and said, do you want to GM the official Rack Queens RPG? Uh, and Curtis will work with you on it. Uh, I know, like, I had just done a few one-shots, and I had done other one-shots here and there. I'd never really done a full campaign, but at that time, I was taking classes at the Impro Theater School in Los Angeles, and at Impro, we do a lot of things where we do improvised Tennessee Williams, improvised Twilight Zone, improvised Shakespeare, so we start to create our own stories by studying these authors, studying their works, we then improvise our own stories in those worlds. So I was so excited like to to take on these amazing wonder wonder wonderful characters from the Rat Queens world and see what else what other stories we could tell with these amazing female characters and where we could take them, how to expand that world and then same thing with Witcher. I love Witcher 3 on the Switch is great. It does not look bad. I don't know why people say that. Uh, <laughs> but I had so much fun playing. I was playing that game, uh, really getting into the first time as the, as the Netflix show was on. And so we were kind of talking about it. And it was like, do you want to do a Witcher RPG? I was like, yes, I do. Because this game is all about nasty choices and how awful <laughs> the world is. So, yes, let's challenge players. Uh, so, yeah, I love, I don't know, I love, I'm not really played in kind of like Eric I've, I've very briefly ventured into like my own own worlds and stories but I love playing in worlds that inspire me oh that's awesome mm. and I think you know I feel pretty fortunate I feel like a lot of 
Um, luckily, there, there have been uh, systems made for a lot of these bigger IPs. So I think that we're real fortunate to live in a time where like that's that's a thing. Like you know, my first RPG was Edge of the Empire. So the back when I was like in high school or, or whatever. So I'm like, it's it's awesome. It's super awesome. Uh, question is for everyone. Um, you know, we've we all are our amazing GMs, um, and I want to know if there's something that you wish you knew when you create when you're creating an, a campaign in an existing IP. Is there something you wish you knew before you started um, creating your campaign? Yes. I know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I think I needed the reassurance that your story is more important than your perception of this other world that has been built. The story and your players and everybody at the table having a great time is more important than, you know, for me, I was, I was very overwhelmed. The 25 years of Power Rangers history. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'll never forget an ominous conversation I had with Matt Colville in a green room when we were getting ready to launch Shield of Tomorrow. <laughs> he said something very profound to me. He was like, he's like, so you're playing Star Trek? And I was like, yep, 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 yep. And he's like, we're going to have a problem. <laughs> oh, like, man. Uh, okay, why is that? And he's like, because players are going to have rank over other players and not everyone can agree on what lawful good means. And I was <laughs> like, oh, that's a good point. So... What I wish I had known going into, into Star Trek Adventures was how to have, when we did Shield of Tomorrow, I wish I had had a better concept of how to really build uh, a framework in those session zeros behind the scenes of how to sort of like interconnect everybody so that everyone's taking care of each other and not so worried about rank um, and, and feeling like they have to ask other players permission to do things because that is not the way to run a game. And uh, yeah. And, and I, I mean, we, you can see in the early days of S.H.I.E.L.D., it's rocky. Like, we had to figure that shit out, like, kind of, kind of, like, in the process. We, thankfully, we were close friends, so, like, everything was fine. But um, it definitely helped learning that lesson. Launching Clear Skies was totally different, much more positive experiences, like, being able to figure that out and do it. So, uh, at the time, yeah, I think, I think my answer to that ultimately is just, I wish I, uh, Looking back on it, the one thing I wish I had known a little bit better was just how to anticipate the different group dynamics that IP brings with it because it's a television show being brought into an RPG and it's not just you meet at a tavern, go adventure kind of thing. It has a little bit of an expectation attached, kind of like what Malik was saying. So yeah. I, I just learned how to let go of that a little bit, but also like take care of the players. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Anyone else? I think an important... Thing, it took me a couple iterations to figure out was uh, not in a lazy way, but what's like the minimum viable product for uh, every like everyone in the audience to map like, yes, this is this IP. So you don't have to be so fastidious about like catching every detail in every corner for like the edge case of like 0.5% of the audience. It's like, well, it actually the door opens from the other direction. You're like, okay, that's fine. So, but what is that minimum amount? So once we understand that that is covered, everyone at the table feels secure making new choices in the world, knowing that that's still going to map onto like the general sense that we are still within the IP, but also like frees people up to feel like they have more volition in the world and with the story and the characters. Yeah. Cool. Uh, this one kind of picking back off of what uh, you guys have said, um, I kind of wanted to know for things that already have a built, um, a built rule book, 
and we're, we're trying to tell a story. We're, we're still performers. We're doing this live on stream. Um, how do you guys go about maybe bending the rules a bit um, or, you know, for sake of like story? Um, and is that, do you find that okay? Or do you find that like, like, how do you go about that process? Ooh. Uh, I, I think it's perfectly fine to like probably miss out on some of the stats or uh, fine tune the system a bit just to uh, tell a quality story. Like we do it in Mass Effect all the time and I've done it uh, in the past too with uh, say Witcher and other RPGs. So it's totally fine as long as you're telling a great story and everyone's having fun then yeah. It's all about fun. Nice. Yeah, I think when it comes to game flow, there's nothing wrong with roll dice hit target number. And yeah. in, in, in like, especially if you've got a system that has a lot of exception based rules or it's got some crunch to it and you want to just give the player the experience and the flow is happening, then I, I do that in Star Trek Adventures all the time. Like it's just, it's, it's roll dice hit target number, maybe throw in some things to sort of add some like drama to it. But for the most part, I don't find any problem with that at all. Yeah. Yeah. Our Talisaurian uh, has this great, they have the Witcher RPG book, and then they have the Witcher RPG easy mode. If you just want to take your players like on a story-based Witcher RPG, I love systems that have like, here's the here's one that's really number heavy, for, for especially for gamers who love that, because there's some of us out there, and that's awesome. But if you have a table of folks who are like, I'm here for the story, or I'm going to play this character and just really get immersed in the world, uh, systems that have easy mode, or even kind of creating your own easy mode of a game system is totally feasible like i i don't think i have ever been in a game or besides i guess warhammer uh a game or gm to game where moving was like you can only move so far mm -hmm. usually like if someone's like i want to run over here i'm i'll be like okay are you trying to run like a mile or are you just heading like 20 feet over here great yeah you can do it so i i would highly recommend that that's what I love. Yeah, that's awesome. it. as long as the uh, consequences are real uh, for actions, then it's fine. Like it, it's like as long as you're clearly indicating, like, hey, there's a threat here, and you know, it, th this is probably what's going to happen if you fail. That's really what's most important because that's the stakes, right? That's what two players uh, matters. Like, yeah. Is my character going to make it out of this okay or not, right? Um, and yeah. That's like the big thing. Um, for me, as a game designer, I take a very game designer approach to this, and I'm like, what is the user experience that I'm trying to live design for my players? I was very fortunate that Saban Brands handed me this like 80-page brand guideline book that I had to study like crazy, but there was one page in there that said the four pillars of Power Rangers are teamwork, friendship, diversity, and fitness. Yes, fitness. <laughs> um, and so I, I realized, hey, you know, I might like flub calling this uh, like the wrong term or something, but if the game mechanics itself and what I ask people to roll help promote those four pillars, I knew it was going to be a Power Ranger story. That's amazing. That just, that's such a Hulk Hogan, just like, say your <gasps> vitamins, eat your prayers. Yeah. <laughs> Friendship, fitness. <laughs> say your vitamins and eat your prayers. I mean, there was, there was some rules too. For example, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but they actually wrote it out. Power Rangers never escalate. All the players knew, like, they could escalate the problem, but to make it feel like a Power Rangers story, they would wait for the enemy to strike first. So th those were kinds of things that we decided, hey, these are the rules for the world to make it feel like of that world. Mm. That's excellent. And I guess for me, uh, I kind of wanted to add on to this too, because I think, and I'm maybe I, it might just be me, and that's okay, but um, with 
crunchy systems, you know, that are pre-established. I think um, some people might, if you're a GM and you're like new, maybe it's like a little scary to kind of like think of, of the outcome. And I always found that, you know, the rule sets are just, there's really like easy things to follow to help your imagination see each and every step. So um, I think both ways are totally, totally cool. Yeah. But sp speaking of uh, game mechanics, you guys, I know some of you guys have created your own systems for, um, you know, you're an IP. Can you guys talk about uh, creating the game mechanics to make it feel like that matches the world you're playing in? Um, so I created a one day RPG. So I, I like I've only run it once. I've only play tested it once, but it was inspired by Xeno Warrior Princess, another television show that I absolutely love. And I, you know, I thought about like, what are the pillars of Xeno Warrior Princess to me? And it was kind of this journey between kind of dark versus light, good and bad choices, you know, maybe evil or opportunistic and maybe, um, you know, selfless and, uh, and morally kind of driven. And so I created a system where you're constantly choosing between those two. And depending if you have one leaning or the other, kind of like a lot of the Star Wars systems, um, that kind of determined your path. Uh, additionally, sometimes not only do you want to ask... Um, what a system is about, what is it not about? So uh, there are a lot of like mech-inspired RPG systems. You know, Battletech is one we've run at Hyper RPG. But I, you know, I was thinking about all the scenes inside of the Megazord in Power Rangers, for example, and they're never talking like stats, tactics, strategies. So I knew system-wise, I couldn't uh, create a system where like you have to, you know, pass five checks to make sure that the Megazord can raise the right arm and like finger cannon the enemy, right? So I'm always thinking about like that user experience, the mood that you're trying to promote and actually look for game mechanics. I think one of the best examples is 10 candles. Use game mechanics to facilitate the experience you're trying to create, the feeling you're trying to evoke from your uh, players instead of a, a hindrance or, or take them out of the mood you're trying to make. Yeah. And That's jumping, awesome. Yeah, I just want to piggyback on that because uh, I also like basically built a Fast and Furious game for one of the hyperdrives. And, just uh, one, yeah, just well, it was one beautiful. Game. It was beautiful. Yeah, it was ridiculous. I'll probably like release it at some point just to like make other people <laughs> mess around with it too. Uh, but yeah, picking Powered by the Apocalypse because the like because it's so like mechanics light and rules light, and knowing that fast like the Fast and Furious franchise. If you're playing in the IP that is aware that it is uh, a very big franchise, is this constant uh, acceleration and like moving towards hyperbole? So picking a system that allows for players that are invested in that concept to constantly make bigger, wilder choices and be affirmed by the mechanics to say like, yes, by all means, like you drive a car that becomes an Autobot, like that's a thing that definitely happened in one of these movies in a hundred years uh feels very good and yeah it's it's so much of it is about finding the mechanics that support and affirm and push forward the kind of narratives that like an ip like calls for i know for, excellent for me with the rat queens it was a very interesting situation because uh Curtis had actually already started to develop a, a draft of rules for a dungeon world yeah, powered by the apocalypse system for the Rat Queen, for a potential Rat Queens RPG. So I had this rough draft of rules and it basically was like, 
there you go, play with that. And so I, I took it and I was like, okay, here's Dungeon World, here's these rules. Okay, I like this, okay, let's do this. Oh, also we have audience incentives. Here's where we're gonna use these rules to make that. So it's very much like a, I'm in a kitchen, I have all these ingredients given to me, let's improvise a meal by, by is, uh, yes, like you said, kind of examining my players' taste palettes and seeing what, uh, what ingredients and what features will best facilitate a good and fun storytelling experience. And then, Bert, this is for you. So Mass Effect RPG does not include a romance system, which is wild. But uh, as a player, I am someone who is constantly pushing for romance in the Mass Effect RPG. I get it. I'll, I'll figure something out. I get it. I get it. <laughs> I Diplomacy only it. gets you so far. <laughs> uh, awesome, guys. I, I have a my next question is is for Emily and Malika specifically. Um, but if anyone else, this also applies to if you worked with you know publishers directly and stuff as well. But what was it like to work with creators of a property, knowing that Malika, you worked with Saban Branch with Hyper, and and uh, Emily, you working directly with um, Curtis on Rat Queens. Um, what was it like creating the property? Did it change your the way you approached the game? Absolutely. So when you start to get in the official kind of area, a lot of contracts, a lot of talking to different departments to convince people that this is a good idea, a lot of waiting, a lot of approvals, um, a little behind the scenes. And I don't want to go into it too much. You can look into the Hyper RPG VODs if you want to know more. But I had to write an outline for every episode a week in advance and get it approved by the Saban Brands team to make sure the Power Rangers weren't escalating and it focused on uh, friendship, fitness, teamwork. Fitness. And this doesn't have enough air. fitness in it. We can't <laughs> Um, so that that was uh, it was awesome because they had a fantastic understanding of their brand right Mm -hmm. and they even understood what part of their their fans their demographic I should create the show for so they even told me we're making this project for legacy fans people that are my age who grew up watching Power Rangers and maybe now they watch the Power Rangers uh, with their kids so how could we create a story that invoke that kind of nostalgia that feeling however maybe explored themes that people a little bit older adults could really appreciate and kind of sink their teeth into narratively. So it was really fantastic because they had a very good understanding. I guess they had a quarter of a a century to figure it out. They had a good understanding of their brand. And so I had really clear goals when I was designing the the game and also pitching them narrative ideas. Uh, Awesome. For me. I had so many. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Uh, For me, kind of the opposite. Curtis, I was like, do you have anything specifically you want me to follow anything? Like, are there any rules? He's like, no, have fun. Which is terrifying, which <laughs> is utterly terrifying for someone to say, like, here's your, <laughs> here's a property. And I'm like, what do I, yeah, there are rules. There, where are the invisible fences? He's like, there is no invisible fences. You just go. Uh, for Curtis, uh, Rat Queens is very much like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, in which it was very much like he was so open to everybody's and anybody's interpretation of his characters and property, which was incredibly freeing and also incredibly terrifying at the same time. Because as soon as someone says, there are no rules, you were like, oh, there's, there's too much freedom. How do I navigate that? But uh, for me, it all came down to, okay, well, I really want to honor like this person's work because he worked so hard to create these amazing characters in this really fun, crazy, fantastical, uh, kick-ass world. So 
I knew from reading about like his little bios and some comics and collections, he was a huge like Lord of the Rings. Like, there's even characters like a curse in that world is Bilford Boggan. It's a parody, kind of it parodies Lord of the Rings in some factions. So I was like, what if my campaign is basically like his characters kill the Lord of the Rings Fellowship? And then they have to save the world. So just really playing up on these ideas and, and using his inspiration as kind of the, the cornerstones for then my story with his characters. Like saying, okay, this is what you, this is what inspired you to make these characters. I'm going to tap into that same inspiration and this is what I create with, with from that. Yeah, that's awesome. Eric, do you want to add to that? Uh, yeah, I just, I, we had a really, f it was so interesting because when we were launching Shield of Tomorrow, there was a lot of, I was really nervous because this was back when we were still in the aftermath of the whole Axanar thing that had taken place. So I, we, we knew that like, we knew that the license holders of Star Trek were going to be super edgy about anybody trying to do any kind of Trek stuff that wasn't licensed. And thankfully to the publisher Modifius, they were super excited when they heard that we were basically going to be demoing their product as it was launching. So they were all about this. And they got us in contact with CBS. And I'll never forget, I was so nervous because I had this, I was like, look, I want to build a set. I want to have, a, you know, have cost. Like, I want to like create a Star Trek show. Is that going to be cool? I was expecting them to lay the unholy smackdown on me and send me out the door. And they they heard me out, and I was pitching the whole thing to them. I was really nervous about it. And Modifius is on the phone, and after a long pause, the lawyer is like, "Yeah, no, that sounds fine. Just don't have any of the main actors on your show playing their characters. We don't care." <laughs> and I was like, oh, "Okay." Great. And so we just went and did the thing. It, it, I, ironically, it was the same when we did the Doctor Who one shot. I got in contact with the BBC to make sure they were cool and Cubicle 7 was cool. And BBC was totally different. They were like the mouse. They were like, okay, so what era are you running? And I was like, uh, well, it's 11th Doctor era, but it's alternate universe. Okay. So here's the thing with that. Uh, anything pre Jodie Whittaker is now considered classic Who. So you cannot brand it modern who? And I was like, oh, okay. So it's the Matt Smith era? Yeah. Okay, then it has to look like the Matt Smith TARDIS. I was like, we're not building a TARDIS. We're just running an RPG. Like, we're not, like, I had to like, it's so funny talking to people on the other side of these television IPs. They really have no clue what this content is. They have no idea what's going on on Twitch. They don't know what RPG content is. Critical Role's given them an insight into what's going on, but they yeah. still have no freaking clue. And... The last thing we did was uh, my partner and I, Sam, did the RPG for Carnival Row. And that was back when I was still employed by Legendary. So that didn't have to ask too much, like, hey, can we do this thing? And they were like, sure, go ahead. I had, it, that was super easy. And they gave us a lot of like uh, ability to do it. But, but at the end of the day, like making all of these RPGs based on these IPs and like creating them and stuff like that, Every time we did a show of it, it always, the, the big thing was, is it always, always, always had to be your own story. Yeah. Like when we did Shield of Tomorrow, it took place during the end of DS9. We've seen DS9. We don't need to play DS9. Like it needs to be our own story. Like it has to be your own. In Doctor Who, it created an alternate universe. Like the idea was to pull it away. Like, yes, we're playing this IP, but the idea was to make it your own. Exactly like, like everyone's been saying, like that's been the key I find, so. Yeah. Uh, picking off of that, and I'm, I'm going to open it up back to everyone. Um, where do you guys start, though? We, there's so much lore uh, in these in some of these worlds. Where do you start? Uh, how do you how do you begin the process to creating your own story set in these huge IPs? 
I just talked my head off, so I'm going to shut up. <laughs> uh, uh, Bert, let's start with you. Yeah. So with like Star Wars, it's one of those things. I think one of the biggest, look, you're, you're obviously going to, you need to understand what kind of grand story you're going to tell, right? A lot of these IPs lend themselves to, I'm going to tell this far reaching story that's going to have ramifications, but like, you don't have to necessarily do that. You can be like, we're following a small little group and then like it expands out of that. But the main thing is uh, that like, you're, you're going to go to like the tried and true aspects of that IP because that's why you're in that universe like you're gonna go you know eventually to Tatooine and go to a cantina because why not like that's what people <laughs> want to do but the one thing that I definitely want to encourage people is like explore the periphery like this is like your opportunity to like be in this IP and then make whatever you want up because they're normally so wide scoping that like you have that freedom so like yeah if you feel really passionate about going to Bespin go to Bespin, like do a story there. But then like, but then is it like, you know, one of the interesting favorite moments from, from Pencils and Parsecs was uh, Emma Fife was jamming a, a, um, a one-off and she's like, I'm going to take Resident Evil and put it into Star Wars. So like, they're going to go yeah. explore a creepy, weird facility and there's going to be zombies and it's weird. And, and like, that's a cool thing to do. Like you can take the familiar and take the unfamiliar and put them together, right? And then that right. led to us having, you know, zombies on Star Destroyers, which was great. Uh, and and like that's the thing is like it was a horror in Star and Star Wars, which was like it's oh, wait a second, like I got what? And like that's the thing is you can you can explore the edges, like go to the periphery of of this universe and like suture that in your story, like figure out the scale and then figure out like the key places you want to hit, and then start to think of the cool places that you want to just make up, right? Like it's a it's a universe where you know biodiversity isn't really a thing so like when you in insert biodiversity into a planet it's like oh my gosh there's climates here what like do it like do whatever you want like have fun have fun and that's the thing right like yeah figure out figure out how much you want to pull from everything but make it yeah I'd, I'd like to piggyback off of that and say Please. like yeah it's it's very much the like spec script idea mm -hmm. of like what's the thing that you as the the probably the GM, uh, care about, about the universe? Like what's a character that you really want to dive into or like a plot or a plot hole? I actually really enjoy people that like pick up plot holes from big IPs <laughs> and they're like, no, we'll fix it. We've got this. And now Star Wars tries to do it too. So who, who knows? But it's, yeah, it's along with that playing in the periphery, but it's like, find the thing in the sandbox that like made you passionate about the IP and then like deep dive on that and like, I think enthusiasm trickles down, not just to your players, but to the audience in general. So the thing that you care about will will most likely become the thing everyone cares about. So like follow your fun, I think is the best way to go about it and just figure out like why you like this IP so much and then just go do that to death. Oh, amazing answers. Amazing answers, you guys. Anyone else <laughs> want to piggyback on that one? Uh, yeah, I would, since I want to like give you guys in the chat room like a thing to do, Create a bullet list of everything that you like about the IP with your players. Yeah. A character, a setting, a theme, that kind of thing. And um, also, maybe create a list of kind of like fun fan topics or questions. Because what's awesome about RPGs is a way to explore the mystery, right? Um, you know, there's that whole like viral thread of uh, Jar Jar Binks being actually a Sith Lord. Like, I want to play that scenario, you know? 
Yeah. Uh, like that Same. would be so much fun. Bert, help me out. Um, I know he has opinions about gun guns, but like. <laughs> I made a one-off where that was exactly the case. Yes, yeah. exactly, so, yes. exactly, 100%, 100%. exactly. So, uh, you know, I had a lot of other parameters for the Power Rangers uh, RPG, but, you know, there were certain characters because of production limits and, and time and money. You know, a character disappears, uh, an object disappears, an object gets a new name, there's some discontinuities. So we leaned into those because the fans were already creating really fun narrative explanations for that. And so I just kind of browsed that and I leaned into it because I think as a fan, that's how you engage. You think deeper about the IP and you're like, what if I was a Power Rangers monster? And um, yeah. there was one season, I'll give you a very specific example. The formula for the monster was animal, random object, and plant. And I used that almost for the entire season of Hyperforce. I was like, horse, Cactus, uh, screwdriver, you know, <laughs> done. Evil laugh, I've made it. Uh, so, you know, just like the things that you love, bring that to the forefront. And I also want to say the things that you don't love. Maybe the creator has some kind of problematic views. Maybe you don't like a certain character. You can throw that away or you can rewrite it. You have the power. That's actually uh, uh, yeah. kind of piggy off of that. Um, so I, there's a chat question that I think would goes right in, great with that response, Malika. Is um, um, is how do you guys go about playing um, playing in a world where you know the creator does have has been known to have like issues um, that have been problematic? How do you mm -hmm. guys how do you separate that? Is it okay? What are your what's your take on it? I mean. Uh, Peel is like the perfect example and Lovecraft Country is the perfect example of what you do with it. You take it and claim it. Uh, uh, the mythos does not belong to Lovecraft anymore. It hasn't for a long time. I mean, he only created like 30% of that stuff. And, and uh, I'm sorry if y'all are y'all, y'all watching are a little irritated by this, but Lovecraft is a racist piece of trash. And, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. but the, the mythos is created largely by people who came after him. He does not own Cthulhu. I mean, legally, you make it blah, blah, blah. But you know what I mean? Like, there's no reason why you can't take that story and make yours. Uh, look at, look at uh, Gail Simone and what she did with Conan and Wonder Woman. Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. damn. Yeah. There's no reason why you cannot claim it and make it your own. There's a lot of really problematic RPG material out there that, uh, I mean, just look at, look at late 90s Vampire the Masquerade. I mean, it did a lot of things yeah. that were incredibly progressive. On the other hand, there's also a pre-generated skinhead you can play in the back of the book. Problematic a little bit, yeah. Um, there's no reason why, and White Wolf is a great, that's a great publisher. Like that is a publisher with their finger on the pulse. They're like really talking to the community. They're really working on stuff. It's a different world now. But when you, when you talk about like problematic material and if it's a world you wanna play in, I mean, I always look at Peel as just like the perfect example or, or Gail Simone as the perfect example of claiming it, make it yours. Um, Trail of Cthulhu does this great job in the opening part of its book by saying, uh, yeah, it's 1930, but there's squiddy monsters that wanna drive you mad and eat the world. So why can't you have a woman be president in 1930? Can you really look me yeah. in the eyes and explain why you're gonna explain to me why you can't have black hobbits? please tell me why there's cave trolls, but not black hobbits. Like there's no reason in the world why you can't take these worlds and make them yours. It's, it's it is yeah. your, <laughs> yes. your paintbrush, your paint, like 
do it. <laughs> Let uh, me just add to that and say, I play a lot of D&D, &D, and though that's not technically another IP, it is Lord of the Rings, and Tolkien is trash. So, yeah, everything Eric said is super true. You make it your own. Like, death of the author is real and valid, and it's just about taking it, taking the good things, acknowledging that, like, there are probably elements of that bad philosophy in the game itself, hunt it out like a, sorry, I won't swear, a truffle pig, and <laughs> out, and then like replace it with something better that aligns with like your core values and what you want to put out into the world. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I to just expand on what you're saying, Aubrey. Like, I think it's important not to whitewash it. That's definitely true. Like, don't don't ignore it or try to pretend it ain't there. But yeah, claim it. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to uh, emphasize also, this is why conversations between players and GMs and amongst yourselves is so important, you know, so important uh, that you have that kind of understanding because, you know, if your mission and kind of what is fun to you is to reclaim the BS and make it, you know, colorful and rainbow and, you know, awesome, then like that is something your GM needs to know and maybe help facilitate. And then you as a GM can help facilitate as well. Um, I think I had a great moment actually playing with you and Emma was the GM where we played uh, Good Society, the Jane Austen inspired RPG. And I was a gay dandy boy and I loved every moment of that. <laughs> I felt seen as a member of the LGBTQIA community. And you know, uh, I, I loved what Emma said in that session in that she was like, you know, that's a little unusual, kind of like honoring that I was overcoming a challenge by being that character. But, you know, why am I going to get in way, uh, get in the way of your love? And I was like, man, that was such a fantastic moment. And I actually met the creators of that RPG, awesome team from Australia. And they came up to me and they said, thank you. Thank you so much for representation, using our game to do these kinds of things. Um, last night, I also played in the Altered Carbon RPG. Uh, not the creators of the RPG, I want to be very clear, but the, the original writer of the book, let's mm -hmm. just say has some mm -hmm. views that I, you know, like, nope, nope, I'm just going to nope out. Yeah. But I had, you know, I had a great conversation with the writers, with my GM about like, hey, can I take that as a non-binary, gender fluid, something along that spectrum kind of person and like switch the sleeve that I'm going to play in? And they mm -hmm. were like, Let, that's the best way. If you see a problem in the world, like rewrite it in your own image so that we can create a, a, like a better place where everybody can have fun. Amazing. Uh, I kind of want to, uh, while we're on this train, I want to ask you guys this advice for people on the chat who are trying to run their games and are trying to address these issues in, in, in within their games. Um, say, for example, if, they're, if a GM who is white or something or, or whatever race is, wants to play someone who may be a different nationality or wh whatever, it's like, mother or something how do they go about that without uh coming off as a racist or or inappropriate um what's what's what advice can you give to gms out there hmm. um we were kind of talking about this before we went live malika like avoid using accents i think is, is like a go-to because <laughs> i think it's important not to i did this on like i was saying on callisto 6 my my good friend Elisa pearl um, really wanted Puerto Rican representation in that game. And so I had to play her mother. And it, it's so easy to, 
to to be insensitive about stuff like this, you need to really communicate with people and make sure that you don't fall into what you view as a caricature of an entire like culture. This is just a nightmare scenario. Um, I have this conversation a lot with people who love the game. It's one of my all-time favorite RPGs, but Legend of the Five Rings. Like the entire game is basically Game of Thrones meets James Clavell's Shogun. And uh, how do you how do you like how do you play that without it being problematic and i th really think it's it's just a matter of really communicating a lot like let me put it this way when i was with blood of the void my i have poc my entire cast is poc i am the token white guy in the cast and before we before we began that game we started talking about like issues because we have a character who's half vulcan half klingon and he specifically chose that character because he wants to talk about what it is to be multicultural multiracial and uh, I, you know, right off the bat, we had to have a conversation and this, uh, and I'll try to, I try not to eat up too much of the time here because this is a big part of like what I've been doing since I've been running games. It started with my friend, Sam, uh, Sam bringing me really waking me the hell up to how disability is represented in RPGs and in content, which in my opinion is one of the worst offended areas <laughs> in like, just in general, disability is horribly represented. Um, and and, and talking about this stuff, like how do you portray these characters as a GM to a, a group? It, it, honestly, I, I think it's a lot of listening and a lot less talking and talk, like finding out what the tropes are, where the go-tos are. And, and really, as you said at the beginning, right before we went live, Matt, it's portraying a person is the baseline for everything. Um, and just don't create a caricature. And I find if you stick to that compass and keep communication open, you'll do okay. That's yeah. that's my five cents. Anyone want to piggyback on that? That's really well said, my friend. Well said. I um, like as an Asian person, uh, I feel so fortunate in that I'm adjacent to a lot of history and heritage that I'm very proud of, and I have a lot of friends who you know they love samurai movies, they love anime, they love kung fu films, and that's really exciting to me. But at the same time, yeah make it a person not bruce lee sounds you know <laughs> like that that's a whole uh experience though i know there are some very kind thoughtful caring people who want to push themselves as an actor to maybe play some something else you know maybe a different skin tone a person of a different culture a different gender that kind of thing uh, i think a great actor to look up her name is sarah jones and she's a tony award-winning like multi awesome actress and she does kind of the same thing like you were saying eric she's not like i want to play asian woman she like finds somebody who she spends time with and talks about the dynamics of their family and their relationship to create a, a very lived-in character. And it's a, it's a crap ton of work. But uh, if, if delving into that is important and you live in a part of the country where you don't have access, because, you know, like, that's awesome, you know, Eric, at your table that you have all people of color. And, uh, you know, us living in Los Angeles, we have access to those things. But I know in other countries, sometimes you're kind of like all the same race. And it's not for you to feel bad about that, but it's for you to do the work, to do the research, to walk a mile in those people's shoes so it's not just Bruce Lee sounds. <laughs> and uh, yeah, jumping in on that, I think the, the cheat code for that is if you want to play outside your experience, do it, but don't do it because you want to have that experience. Like that's just like 
edge lord yeah it's, <laughs> it's diversity tourism which is yeah. wild <laughs> especially when you're at the table so when you're like oh what a what a flex huh so like do it and get used to the idea because like just like reading books outside of like what you are as a person it builds empathy to put yourself in other people's shoes it just doesn't necessarily mean that you have to suddenly like change all of your affectations and go to like what you think are that community's like coded actions or behaviors or verbalisms like yeah that's all mm -hmm. it is but just play a black hobbit you could just mention that like they sunburn less often and then just keep playing and it's fine like that's also valid so your uh how much you want to deep dive you can go full sarah jones and like get into the experience and like really do your research and get into it or you can just be diverse and have that change literally nothing else because diversity is also a factor of culture so you can have a black hobbit that acts like uh all of the hobbits from like the lord of the rings books that you've read before that are definitely white and white coated because if they were raised there the culture is going to be the same so diversity doesn't have to be this like deep dive into like socioeconomic like i don't know treatises just do it and be it and enjoy it in your world mm -hmm. heck yeah well said everyone uh, now I do have a question too. Uh, that was a great conversation. Uh, I want to talk about you guys when you're doing these kind of IPs. Do, how do you guys feel about bringing in already established characters? What's your take on that? I know, I know, on I know Bert on PNP. I know we've had discussions about this. Yeah, uh, I was going to ask Bert. I'm really curious about <laughs> Bert because because as as somebody who did Star Trek, uh, you, like when we were doing Star Trek. I, I put out one point during the second half of Shield tomorrow. Hey, what do you want for your character? And Hector came back at me with, "I just want to meet Scotty, or, <laughs> or or like somebody from the Enterprise. I just want to meet. I just want. That's I want so Martinez Hector. to have an encounter. That is so Hector. Yeah. Gosh, know, that's so like, Hector. Yeah. So we we did that. But like I but I'm like I know Hector was in Pencils and Parsecs too. So I'm just like, okay, I want to know what other established IPs how they did it because I, I want to know how yours went. Yeah, here's the thing. I don't really like bringing established characters into the story. Mm -hmm. um, it's very easy to do it. Like a lot of the books that you you get are like, here's the stats for Darth Vader. And I remember like, you know, again, I, <laughs> I, I came, I started playing on the Wizards of the Coast, like D20 system. And it was just like being like, oh my gosh. And then like we were in a fight and I'm like, what? I'm like, oh my God, you're using Chewbacca stats and got really pissed the gm because i'm like this is impossible i can't do this um but from like a from a story perspective um i, I here's the thing it, it's it all it all comes down to like setting expectations and i think eric eric brought up a really good point if your players really want to do that then then like listen to your players but as a gm if you don't feel comfortable doing that set those expectations um at the beginning like that's part of like part of the whole thing is just communication between gm and players so like for me i don't really like it because i feel like it makes this you have this just this wide uh huge universe to play in and as soon as you bring like these main characters in it makes there's there's so much complexity to it because what if they kill them what if they do all this stuff do we alter the time i'm like ultimately i don't care do whatever you want because that's the fun of a, an rpg but when you bring these characters in it almost like drastically whatever the story was being told it now recontextualizes it into the like in the context of the movies or the books or whatever you're doing. And for me, it's like, no, tell your own adventure. Like, go do it. It doesn't matter what Luke Skywalker's doing. Like, you can go do it, but you can make references to it. So, like in P and P, like 
uh, they were they, you know they're with the rebels and they're like what do you mean do you not know luke skywalker he just went and they're like who's that i don't know like well, uh. and i and i was like yes you get it and then they, they moved on so like we it didn't, it didn't thankfully didn't come up but then we started doing you know things where it was like unlocks and it's just like do you guys really want to unlock Darth Vader showing up? Like, it's not going to go well for you. But we had Thrawn show up, and Thrawn was like, it was really, that was like a hard moment because I'm like, now I'm starting to have to think about, like, you know, think about that character. You want to do them service. You don't want to, like, make it come off. And so for me, there's plenty of uh, opportunities to take templates of main characters and then just make them your own. Like, oh, cool, if you want to bring in Thrawn like bring in Thrawn if you want to bring mm. in and establish your own Grand Admiral that is like the same kind of like personalities but like now your own approach like roll with it like do that too like and and you have then now the stats to do that but for me I'm always like eh, no don't do it um but that's just me that's just my taste right I mean, well, you also had, you know, I mean, for our Mass Effect RPG, the it takes place after two, and there's a direct correlation, but like not di like directly, but it's like it had an effect on us. I thought that was really cool too, man. Yeah, um, yeah. and and piggybacking from what you all said, uh, you already established that this campaign is our own, and just mm -hmm. creating a story from that campaign is just is just have fun with it, and just don't really care about what uh how, how the characters are out beforehand if it's your story it's your story that's what that's all that matters and people are having fun then that's all that matters too like playing Geralt for example I know <laughs> beforehand how his story was but it was really it was a really cool dynamic to have him care about not just Siri but although also the other theater names the other character I have two daughters in a sense and it, it was <laughs> awesome and fun to have that dive into that story because it's our story so yeah, with Mass Effect, uh, having Mark Mir on, we don't care. I mean, we, we care we, we care that he played uh, a character beforehand, but uh, having him just jump in and create his own story with his own uh, background is just awesome. So just have fun. Yeah. Bouncing I want to, oh, yeah, yeah, I was going to ask you, you and em Malika and Emily next, because you guys have built, you know, with, do you, did you feel pressure? Like you had to add characters and stuff? Mm. I know, like, well, it's so interesting playing in a campaign where people are playing as pre-existing characters. Because I remember, yeah, with, with Witcher and with Rat Queens, it was very much sitting down and being, because I think there's a lot of pressure where it comes to, not only as a GM, like, oh my gosh, how do I play this character? I'm bringing this character into this world. Uh, are they, because you know everybody else has their own interpretations and expectations for main characters. So, like, am I going to fulfill those expectations? But I know with when I was chatting with both casts, it was very much like, all right, we're playing this game. This isn't this creator's character anymore. This is now your character. This is Naeem's Geralt. This is um, Jessica's Hannah. Like, this character is now what the person created and who you are. It is a brand new character. And how special and wonderful is that? Because that gives you all the creative freedom to, to embrace all of that goodness and stuff from that character, but also it takes away the pressure of, oh gosh, not like, what would Jesus do? Like, what would, what would Geralt do? WWGD. <laughs> not doing that. <laughs> but, but living in that character's, like, kind of improvising from that character's shoes and being like, well, what are my motivations as this character? What is my 
what does my Hannah want? What do what does my D want? Like from this world, from this interaction, from these other characters, and just having, especially if you're going to have players play pre-established characters, going through that character work, really showing that like this character is their own, and then of course, uh, killing off major characters is something that I do too. But then I do bring them back. <laughs> what? Kill, I, I'm killed off. No, nah, leave them in the grave. <laughs> Um, for me, I think, uh, trying to direct this towards the audience, if you're playing a character either as a GM or a player at the table that is from a known IP, it's probably because you want to, right? And that being said, why do you want to play that character and what do you want to explore? And what's awesome about the Power Rangers Hyperforce story was there was time travel. We could explore an older Tommy Oliver, uh... I was so like nervous, but so excited to do the ah, Rita voice, right? But Barbara Goodson is a legendary actress, and I will never like out Barbara, Barbara <laughs> Goodson. You know what I mean? Like I'll never do that. And actually, as she ages as an actress, her performance of that character gets better and better. Like I have seen that arc, which is amazing. But in the Power Rangers franchise, it's not explored that she becomes good at the end and turns into the mystic mother. And so I actually had more fun as a performer to tell a story about the later half of her life. So um, use this as an opportunity to, to explore like an angle of like, what was Han Solo like when he was a kid? This was before, of course, the movie came out. But anyway, <laughs> you know, you can like you can explore these parts. You know, what was like, you know, before they met their true love, what was that previous relationship like? Uh, it's a lot of fun for fans to do that if you kind of explore like another angle. Yeah, that's amazing. You guys, uh, I have my next question. We're, we're getting close to opening it up to the chat, but I have a couple more I want to ask you guys. Um, first off, um, I know for a lot, you know, we all stream our sh these shows on Twitch uh, and have like a decent following for these shows. How do you guys go about um, with, with these well-known IPs? Uh, what are some things you've done within your campaign to bring in new viewers and listeners who have little to no knowledge of the, the IP beforehand? So uh, one of the things that I find awesome about uh, the Mass Effect campaign is that we've created this way to where people create our, our characters and uh, the Bert would go through them and sort of pull them in to the story uh, as he's uh, GMing, which is great. And uh, yeah, I don't know, Bert could probably go more into that, but I, I think that's one of the coolest things we can, uh, <laughs> we've done so far with bringing new people in. And, and Bert does a really good job with saying, hey, you don't need to know the lore of, you know, this, this yeah. franchise. You just come in and have fun with us, so. Uh, for Clear Skies, we have a Discord server that's linked to our Patreon for fans to support us. And we have full open range role playing uh, that takes place in the Discord. And the Discord is treated like the lower decks of the ship so that there is a living life taking place on the board this starship. Everyone submits a character into a database, like a species and like who they are and whatnot. And uh, we have incorporated them into the live play of the show, like referencing them or if they give me permission to use their character to actually play it. So they haven't, we had one scene where, uh, where <laughs> one of the characters requested that their medical officer who had just gotten out of Starfleet Academy and was an ensign and was like currently working in sick bay uh, was on a space station and, and like delivering a child for the very first time in their life. And it was this Klingon woman that was having a baby on duty and like had to deal with it. And 
the the chief medical officer had to come help like really fun like really fun scene to play so we have like this ecosystem of life that takes place on our discord and it's constantly fueling and even informing some of the game like tones and decisions so it's kind of like this um almost like a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead taking place on our Discord. <laughs> and uh, that's happening. And it's it's sort of like the lifeblood of the game and it invites people to come in and partake and also be a part of our larger story. I find that's been a lot of fun and it's really helped enhance the community. Yeah. I think Discord's been a major factor for, for a lot of us. It's, you know, thank God we have this platform that makes it so easy and efficient to, you know, have this audience participation. Cause I know for Mass Effect and even a hyper with Colock and everything, um, you guys, we've there, it, we also have the Discord where people create characters and it's such a fun way um, for the GM to kind of go in and like you can, they have their details of like their background and who they are and you can just pluck them in anywhere and sometimes they die. <laughs> <laughs> That was like but my, I think that's a great tool. That was my favorite part of Rat Queens was be like so many like people understand like when you're at when you're a GM at a table. I kind of mentioned this in this other GM panel I was in, but like when your players give you something that's really good and they're like, oh, this is why this character is doing this. You're like, yes, that's so much better <laughs> than my idea. Yep, <laughs> that's happening. And then same with like <laughs> that has happened same, to me. Yes. Same with like. <laughs> created characters there's been so many like there was a whole organization that bloomed in the the triad that came out of one audience suggestion a paid character was like this person belongs to this uh to this agency great what does this agency do in this world because that inspires me as a creator too so like i love that so much that's so cool because it's like on twitch and with discord and and with everybody like especially when we're sharing stories with you it's not just us at the table playing but we are so influenced by like what y'all give us in discord what y'all give us in oh, the yeah. chat mm -hmm. and that is like such a you that's like that's like tabletop rpg squared or something like it's so <laughs> awesome and just so creative and like ah uh, like just think like rat queens would not be what it is without y'all as an amazing amazing audience and that just blows my mind every time yeah along with that i also love this idea that like there are like segments of a population of the audience that come in going like, oh, I don't know what this IP is, but I really like the story. And I think it goes back to always kind of keeping as a GM in back of mind, like, I love those memes that's like, describe your favorite movie, but like really boring. So like taking all of the very obvious signifiers for any given like property, off of it what's the core premise of the universe and the core story and then later on you kind of have this fun moment with the audience it's like hey if you like this game did you know there's like 18 star wars movies and like mm -hmm. 400 books like go check those out too <laughs> they're part of our extended universe isn't that great for you and you can <laughs> kind of have that playfulness with it too that like if you are doing that like core tenant that we talked about earlier of uh, establishing your own story within like a well-versed world you don't have to worry too much about like getting people up to speed on it because like yeah understand the core premise and then from there they can go on and maybe they become like big fans of the original ip2 based off of like the story you told because if it was enough to inspire you it's probably enough that infectious enthusiasm can inspire others to the same thing mm -hmm. yeah that's, amazing that's always surreal when someone's like i never liked star trek until i watched clear skies or shield of tomorrow and you're like okay you need to watch star <laughs> trek but thank you <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> 
Um, we have time for two. We're gonna take two more questions, then we're gonna open up to chat. Um, this next question, guys. I know a lot of us have done like like one shots that may have been for like a charity event or something, or just for fun. Um, how, what is your approach to doing a like a one shot that is set in a well known IP? How does it differentiate between um, doing it a one time and something that's probably a little more long term and grounded? What's your What's your process to take on that? Nothing matters. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's interesting because I feel like one shots are easy with, with the IPs that I run a one shot feels more like an opportunity to do an episode and to structure it like one as opposed yeah. to like long form. So I always take the opportunity to create that three act structure in my head when we're, when we're running a one shot and yeah. give them like, I always try to imagine like if, the, if people were flipping through the TV, like this would be the thing they land on. Like how would I deliver that story? A lot of it, to be blunt, a lot of like my story influence and structure when I'm doing one shots is really is as vague as it's going to sound. It's really influenced by the way Joss Whedon used to tell stories. Yeah, um, I just like I Buffy really, and stuff. I, yeah, his his tone, his flow, the way he told like the comedic beats and stuff like that. The throwing in random stuff that like it's like you you <laughs> paint on the canvas and then you randomly throw a splash of green neon for whatever and see what the hell picture you get from that like. I find one shots in the spirit of what Bert is saying, nothing matters. You kind of give yourself this creative freedom to really just deliver a, a, like a solid contained story. Uh, and there, I find, I find that running games in IPs kind of, and, I, and I'd love to hear what y'all think about this, but I find that running IPs uh, at one shots almost feel like they're born for that. Like they're, they're designed, like there's this intrinsic, like it's just naturally, it's a good fit. Is what I yeah. thought. Totally. I, yeah. I think the hardest I laughed in my life was during the Captain Planet one-shot RPG here on Hyper oh RPG because everybody <laughs> took like, though it's, it's, I like, I feel like I, I totally agree with Eric. Like that's why I'm bouncing off of you. Like these IPs, especially television show IPs and like comics and just like really digestible, even movies. Yeah. Just digestible, like within like one to two hour content, like oh my gosh, just playing in the world of Captain Planet. And it's, I think there is a very much a freeing thing where like, like Bert said, nothing matters. Anything is open. You yeah. can do whatever you want. And man, did we. Uh, and, <laughs> but those create some of like the best, like as silly as they are, I think, I think, I think there's types of one shots that are great for like players that really want to have like a really quick emotional like experience. And like, I want to just live in this world realistically for a little bit. But one shots are also great for like, but what if we had a car with a flamethrower on the back? And like, yeah, let's just do it. <laughs> Nothing matters. There's no, there are some consequences, but do they really matter? No, because we're just playing. I think, I think, yeah, I think one shots are great for like any kind of player, especially like trying out a world. Yeah. If I, if I can add on to mine more than just the one sentence, uh, there's the end of the spectrum, right? Nothing matters, especially if you're doing like something like a one shot for, for like a, uh, hyper drive like a charity stream or what have you the opposite end of the spectrum is actually making it completely matter and that's kind of like what we did for this one shot for our mass effect um gen con episode that's going to come out in like a couple hours an hour and a half yeah hour and a half <laughs> where you it's an opportunity one shots are a great opportunity if you're telling like a story to be like hey players who have spent all this time playing the brooding edgelord on the ship. Do you want to play something else? And it's an opportunity for, for the players to just do something different. And when you when you do that, and especially if you're telling like a long form story, you're able to like suture in moments where like, hey, yeah, you're like on this planet doing this thing. 
and like that actually comes back into the main story and people are like, oh, everything's connected. Oh. <laughs> but like, that's, that's your opportunity. It's just an opportunity to just like have a, it, have a change of pace, have a change of pace. It gives a breath of fresh air for playing different characters. And then you're like, all right, cool. We got the, we got the funnies out. Let's go back to the main story. Yeah. So, I think you under the spectrum. With, I, yeah. I think along with that, like the core premise for one shots when you're in an IP is uh, leaning more towards pastiche. And I mean that like very like tone agnostically, because you can have one like games where you're like, we're driving Captain Planet like it's a stolen car and it's going to get weird <laughs> and goofy and dark. But even along with that, you can have like an inc- a, like a completely like self serious, like we are definitely playing in the space in a sincere way, but it's still pastiche. You still wanna like turn those knobs up so that someone who's only gonna jump in for a short amount of time immediately knows what you're doing and what the game is. And like, if it's an IP, like you have to just go back to those core pillars of like, you. it's not Power Rangers unless there's fitness and we all know that now. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, let's have our push-up scene so everybody knows just what the heck we're doing. And I think that's an important part of, and it makes it more fun regardless of what the tone is, but like just getting to the, like the heart of the idea yeah. is possible. Uh, yeah. Can I just add one thing? Uh, a great place to start is a question that you and your players all want to explore. So the chat room just reminded me there was a Power Rangers one shot we did from the monsters point of view. And like what happens after they're defeated because monsters never like nobody dies in Power Rangers. Spoiler. Um, They're just defeated. So it's like, what happened? What does it mean to be defeated? Like, do you go back with your tail between your legs to read and be like, sorry, mistress, you know? Um, Also with the uh, Avatar one shot I did, I really wanted to explore what happened to Uncle Iroh between Avatar The Last Airbender and Korra. So I I wrote my whole story around that, like what happened or what if, and that's like a great way to start. And I just wanted to echo you and and, uh, Eric, try to use the story format of the IP itself. Mm -hmm. Every episode of Power Rangers is almost the same story-wise. You know, like you're at school, the mentor calls you because there's a problem. You solve it. There may be some challenges on the way. Everybody gets big, boom. You know, like, yeah. uh, you know, using that story format can make it feel more like the world too. Yeah. I feel like whenever I do something for charity or like raising money, it's always just becomes Kingdom Hearts. And then and then an Iron Man shoot shows up and Clifford the Big Red Dog is like, get on my back. And then you ride through like a, mm-hmm. uh, the DeLorean. Like, I don't know. It's, it's, I it's love your games thing. for that. Oh, oh, it's so <laughs> stupid, but it makes money for charity. So it's like, great. It, just, it, just, it makes great. for a great moment that people yeah. love. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, guys, uh, this has been amazing. My last question before we open up to chat questions uh, really quick um, is, is there an IP that is so niche or, or something that you just love so much that you would love to like have a campaign in, but you just, you can't find players that are interested in that IP? Yep. Or, you know, and what, what system would you use on that IP? Yep, me, yep. me, me, pick me. I want to uh, Abria, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I've been thinking about this so hard. Uh, there's a really cool, uh, uh, like sci-fi uh, series, novel, no, there's multiple novels uh, by Anne Leckie called Ancillary Justice. And like the core premise is that you, like the main character is the AI of like a battleship. And the AI also controls all of the people on the ship. So uh, like you're dealing with this like individual sort of that has memories of being a ship and what that was like and what their role was as part of a war fleet and also like individuals and having like these like interesting interpersonal interactions with people who either do or don't know that like 
this is a ship that they're talking to. And I love this idea. I don't know what the system would be. I might have to like break some things together because I like this idea that combat becomes either you like zoom in to like this AI being an individual fighter and like having one-on-one -on -one battle moments and zooming out and just like, what are the ships doing? And like having that big board moment of like, I fire my broadsides and send out my troops that way. And I really like this idea that the combat is a good way like i don't think combat is incredibly interesting in rpgs but i like the idea that the combat helps to tell the story of like what it's like to be a consciousness that understands itself in like multiple forms like yeah so that's what i would do naeem um i think uh, i would want to try to explore the alien franchise uh using the 10 candle system I, I think they would just go well together and <laughs> that would be just amazing to see how it was done so i don't know maybe in the future i could see that we could bring that to light so <clears throat> eric yeah so this is an idea that i've had for a while and it's kind of ridiculous but um i uh, terminator i really really wanted to do especially after dark fate because i i thought dark fate was a great film and a lot of fun and I just kept thinking about like, oh damn, because spoilers, uh, more than one T-800 was sent back to kill John Connor. And I was just thinking like, what if there was a bunch, like why wouldn't Skynet have just cast a wide net and take no risks and sent back a handful? And then after the mission is done, you see this Terminator that's built a life for himself and like decided to, you know, without the primary programming has gone off and done like, a, like built a life. So I was like, what if there were a bunch of Terminators that discovered that the mission was accomplished and had to do the same thing and decided to form like, like a, like a, like a club so they could <laughs> check in with each other and, and because they don't understand humans, but they can understand each other as Terminators and this idea of like a bunch of T-800 models that are trying to like live their lives. But every, once a week, they come to a weekly meeting where they sit down in a circle and just sort of like, how was your day? Kind of like I wanna, I want <laughs> to play. It's got so much heart to it, but it's also like my chance to play in one of my favorite sci-fi franchises and do something like really funny, but also kind of dark with heart to it, you know. And uh, and I've I've always wanted to run. I, I pitched this idea to my group, the Stream Punks, and nobody was on board. Everyone was just like, everyone's like, okay. And I was like, all right, cool. Yeah, no, that's, that's, oh, I get it. Oh, no, Eric. <laughs> it's beautiful. That's beautiful, man. Uh, I would play that on the Cypher system, by the way, because that's just one of my favorite systems out there. It's super easy to plug in, and I know yeah. it really well. So, yeah. Yeah. I I know for me, like, I adore, adore, I, you know, if you don't know this already, I'm a big video game nerd. Like, that, that's just obvious. Uh, but one of my favorite series of all time is Fallout. Specifically, Fallout New Vegas. I love Fallout New Vegas to pieces because I think it blends such creative world building. What does a dystopian nuclear future Vegas look like that is still operational? Here are all these cool factions. They do such a great system in that game, too, where it's like you can have, like, allegiances to factions if you're wearing a different faction armor and you go in there they're not going to attack you that's really cool and smart creative gameplay and the whole like good versus bad system where like you earn points if like kind of like uh light and dark where you earn points if you do good deeds versus bad deeds anyways so like i love to me fallout new vegas it's like my favorite of the game 
and if y'all don't know this, I'm from Texas, and Texas lore is, like, ingrained in you if you're from there. Yes. So I was like, what if I did Fallout Lone Star? Because I've always wanted to see a Fallout game in Texas. And so I'm think I'm trying to plan it out right now where it won't just be one campaign with a set group of people. It's going to be an anthology series where you have all these different characters, this cast of, of, of their read violent, kind of like the NCR uh, and the Minutemen in Fallout 4. You have the Texas Rangers that have been revitalized, and now they're the protecting force of the Texas Wasteland. You have all these different stories like Houston and I'm, like, I'm from Houston like what if because like I've been NASA so many times because that's what you do on field trips what if we have NASA and Brotherhood of Steel like how do they do they want the tech and like I've already thought of my radio hosts and all the putting a playlist together of all the songs they want so just really for me it's like what are these worlds I want to play in and how do I or like what are these stories I want to tell and exploring them I know Modifius has a fallout I think they believe they come out with like the vault uh, the mm -hmm. Vault Dwellers uh, tabletop RPG guide. So I definitely want to get that book, like look at it, see like how I can blend like these gameplay elements from New Vegas that I love so much, like with that, kind of like uh, what Bria said, like what systems do I need to like break apart Lego wise and put together my own creation to tell the best story I want to. Yeah. And uh, uh, real quickly, until we get opened up, Malika and then uh, Bert. Um, so you said ones that people aren't on board for so yeah. i want to do a sneakers inspired tabletop rpg using the top secret system i have huge nostalgia for this area i wasn't uh an era in computer history i wasn't even alive for it's like 80s 90s and i think it'd be so cool but i want to insert all of my personal heroes the black programmers the creator of the fairchild uh console uh female developers game designers like all the people that were like harassed out of the industry into this story but like Nobody here is excited about it. Most people haven't seen the movie Sneakers. I made Zach what? watch it like a year ago. <laughs> uh, like I, but this is a like I feel very, very passionate about that era. And I think right now it's cool to be a nerd. And I want to go back to I'm a cool nerd. And but like the frumpiness is homey to me. You know what I mean? Like, can we have more frumpy heroes who are very comfortable? You know, just sitting in front of their computer, hunched over, but they're like so brilliant. They're so smart. They're so creative, and they're such pioneers, right? Yeah, that's awesome. Bert. Bert. Uh, I want to do classic Halo. Uh, I would really want to because I am actually somebody who doesn't like combat in games. I agree, like it's not a thing. So I like to challenge myself. So I really want to do like a, a a crunchy Halo campaign where it's like all right no like you actually are very meticulous of trying to figure out like where your movement is where cover is and all this different stuff and and making it like super freaking brutal we're like yeah you're dead you're out you're out of the campaign you're gone forever <laughs> and we need to get someone else in here and like no you can't play spartans you're just a grunt suck it up and uh <laughs> and i kind of did something similar with the starship trooper system so i think what i can do is take the starship trooper system kind of repackage it um and I, I, I ran a thing, and I'm like, I think this could work. I really want to do classic Halo. Um, and yeah, that's yeah. my thought. I would love and, to play ODST in that game. Yep. yep. Yeah, that'd be, be sick. Yeah. Uh, and I just want to say mine really quick, One Piece. One Piece oh deserves. God. It's like such a great world. It has why, so why much. Would I it not so much sense. Else? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this dumb One Piece D20, you can be a Devil Fruit user. You roll a D100, and there's like 100 different choices. You have to take the one. It's great. It's great. 
but no one wants to play with me. So. Yo, yo, uh, y'all named IP, <laughs> except for Abria, y'all named IP people know. There are still people in the chat room like, I've never seen these sneakers movie. And I'm like, this is, I thought this was the point of the question. I want to hear about your Robert weird, Redford. obscure, nerdy stuff. <laughs> It'd be right. great if there was a, it would be great if there was a high school host host club rpg oh my god i would love oh man i love that show Abri and i have been like what how do we do this i don't know emily if you felt me staring at the whole time that matt was like one piece and i was like yeah just follow that'd be pure chaos do -do, do -do, do -do, right. do -do. let's go ahead and get into some fan questions sorry we, we have a lot of time but we've had some really fun discussions here um you guys before we get into it remember if you haven't yet um please Turn in your ticket, follow that link uh, that the module posts right now uh, in the chat. Follow that link, turn in your ticket. It helps um, uh, Gen Con see the numbers for this panel. It would mean the world. So without further ado, let's get into some chat questions. First one, Mikey7059 asks, uh, how much communication do you guys have to do with the owners of the IP before premiering a game live? I know it's different for, like, I know with, like, Hyper and back in, like, GNS days and, and stuff like that, like, you know, we're, we're a bigger company. Uh, so I'm curious to see that spectrum and, like, with shows like Saving Throw and stuff like that, like that side of it too, because you're a little smaller, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, uh, when, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll just answer that real quick. Uh, yeah, working when, when I was working at GNS, obviously that GNS was owned by Legendary, and uh, so if you were going to play in somebody else's backyard, you were big enough where you were going to get the attention of the yard owner. So there was there was <laughs> yeah. there was like, hey, just so you know. But the funny thing is, is again, and we kind of talked about this before we went live, is that this new medium of storytelling is so new and unique that a lot of the uh, the fair use stuff, it's so opaque, it's really difficult to find out uh, where where the water's edge is on some of this stuff. Plus, it's also admitting the fact that whatever you're running is basically free promotion for whatever IP you're doing and keeping it in the conscious mind. Like, I'm pretty sure Bioware Mass, I'm pretty sure like Bioware EA is thrilled there's a Mass Effect game out there right now. And keeping yeah. it in the public mind because they're in the middle of developing one, you know what I mean? But at the same time, like for us, it, it's also like, yeah, it's great to run Star Trek. But I mean, we had to have the conversation. Yeah, go play Star Trek. You ain't going to sell anything Star Trek, though, just so you know. Like there ain't going to be no Shield of Tomorrow t-shirts because that is where it gets fuzzy. So as a smaller group like Saving Throw or us over at Q Times, like it, it is definitely into a, in, in a spot where um, just so long as we play by that rule, no one seems to care. You don't really have to ask that much of a permission unless you're trying to the moment money comes into it with the IP direct, that's when you start to have to have really difficult conversations. Mm -hmm, um, but mm -hmm. for the most part, like I find that it's pretty being indie is so much more flexible and a lot more liberating in terms creatively with these IPs. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, next question. Next question. Um, oh, how much does can it? I, sorry. Just if you're at home, yeah, do whatever you want and put on the official music. I'm just saying like, if you're yes, at home and you don't have cameras running, just play the official music and get in the mood and, and cast yourself as whoever you want. This mm -hmm. is only in the context of, you know, making it a web series on Twitch or something like right. that. Right. Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, this is a personal question. Um, this one's um, from, I think, Gaika. This one's, uh, whether it's a live game or a home game, how in-depth are your notes per session? Um, not overall campaign, just per session. Oh. It varies. <laughs> With a very guttural response from me. I think I think it varies. I think for like I'll be honest, there was one shot there was a one shot I came in here to do for a hyperdrive where I was like, that's the ending. 
Okay. Because <laughs> I knew it was just going to be, I knew I was going to like, I just wanted to challenge myself to be like, can I let players just like, how much can I improvise on the fly of like, well, we want to go over here and do this. And like this crazy thing's going to happen. And like this perk is going to now evolve into this. And so, uh, yeah. And like playing with that versus I feel like with Witcher and with like a Witcher, I had so many meticulous notes because, like, for me, world building is a really big thing that inspires me as a GM and, like, really help, like, really narratively creating those environments and those moods and those feelings. So, like, describing, like, this is where this thing is on this, like, I need to create more maps. That's what I'm trying to do better as a GM. But, like, describing uh, this is where this is alongside, like, you see this fork in the road. Here's a, here's a small inn. It's next to this river. You see, like, there's fog over the river and just really kind of creating, like, what is the witch atmosphere like what is this kind of dark medieval essence and that's where I use like I love writing intros and outros of my sessions because to me that really nice and like bookends it and as like a big narrative like nerd like having those kind of bookends to my sessions make me feel really happy as a GM and I know that from experience my players really enjoy that too because it helps really create this cinematic story feel I have awesome. an average of 25 index cards that's true. Yeah, with I've um, cleaned them up. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, yeah, like so, I, I, it'll I be like a them up setting, for her too. It's like, oh gosh, a character, a monster. I, 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 I couple, color code them and I, I number them too. But uh, what I like about index cards instead of like a page, because sometimes I'll write between one and three pages, is that you can't reorder things or you can't yes and as much. And so if you have an index card for a moment or a setting or a monster or whatever, and it doesn't really fit, you can just like throw it away or like put it on the bottom of the stack or reorder things. So that's what I really like about index cards. Oh, that's I never thought of that. That's actually a really it's cool a, tool. It's a game designer uh, trick. That's how a lot of narrative, like branching narrative kind of writers also write. They write modularly, so it's self-contained, and then you can move that module anywhere you want. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, uh, I'll just I'll just say this. Uh, first episode of Pencils and Parsecs, I think I wrote three or four pages of detailed information, and all I knew that they were going to do was just exit a room. Uh, how could I have known? Uh, juxtapose that with Mass Effect. I don't have notes, and that's and it's not like a oh, it's just like a I cannot understand what my team is gonna do, so I don't try anymore because that's the definition of insanity. So like I just I just have a general general idea of like I think this shit needs to happen, and we'll see what where it goes. And 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 that is a very uh, dangerous approach because when you go with that approach you're giving full power to your cast or your crew or whoever to just take it in a direction. And, and yeah, there's only so many times I can rip up paper being like, none of this was used. And then, and then did not learn that lesson. So yeah. I've learned, I don't do notes because I, I, it, it hurts. Yeah. I can go find that Bert does that often All as well as I've seen, I've seen Zach do that too. When I'm either watching Kolak or just another show <laughs> doing this. So it's, it's hilarious. Yeah. I full on pants it. I have bullet points, but I, I fly by the seat of my pants. I'll, yeah. I'll cut, I'll create like a paragraph's worth of bullet points of like buttons. I'm hoping to press in this game session and ways I want to challenge a character for their wants and needs that they have for an arc. And then I have a background plot and I'll have a small stack of NPCs and that's, it, that's all the only I, I have ADHD and it's very difficult for me to actually assist, like it, it's very difficult for me to structure shit it's really hard for me and I find that when I'm running games if I have too many notes 
I just like yeah. I'll cry. Like yeah. um, it, it works better for me if my brain can just keep firing off and I can just keep improvising with what the players are giving to me. Otherwise, yeah. it kind of works against me. It's nothing I can do yeah. about it. Yeah. So uh, big same, and I just want to sorry if I can just add on. Go for it. But I like do. Uh, it's a mixture of what Eric and Emily have said uh, about. Actually, it's everyone. What everyone said. Uh, I like using. I I write out establishing shots, and I think that helps with IP tone. Where like you go to a new place and you're shown this thing that's like so meticulously written in the voice of the IP that everyone immediately gets on board. It also helps me out because I also have ADHD and like having like a cadence changer. Yeah, having that little bit of like, whoo, take a breather. We're like spinning up something. It helps my like improv, like like firing off a bunch brain, calm down and reset for the next mm-hmm. thing. And I have yeah. it for big locations and big NPCs. So they like get their own like little cutscene, and it helps me like reset and gets everyone back on board with what we're doing. Awesome. This is uh, one final quick question, uh, specifically for Bert. This one, I think this one can encapsulate our whole conversation. Uh, Berserk Chimera asks, I want to run Star Wars, but feel like I have to have it take place after the movies because it has so much original canon. How do you go about looking past that? And are you worried that players may try to do something that changes the canon? Should you, should you even worry about it? Okay, so I think this, I'll, I'll keep it, This I think this applies for uh, everything besides just Star Wars, right? So it's the biggest thing is going to be lore, right? You're going to hear this question like, oh, I don't know everything, or I need to know everything. You do not. And that's one of the things that you need to know early on, and that goes back to the point of communication, right? If you're communicating with your players, especially if there's a player that, that's there and might know more information than you, set the expectations, right? Talk to them. Be like, hey, guys. I'm going to flub, I'm going to say something and it's going to be wrong, or we're going to, you know, this thing, I didn't know that if you drink whiskey, uh, that's Turian, it kills you kind of thing that happened. Uh, So like, it's a thing, right? Like set your expectations, like it's okay. Like you don't need to know everything and that's fine. But like, that's the line, right? Because for me, part of it is you, you love these movies and you love these universes and you love the eras as you were for what they are. So like, you shouldn't, feel like you have to play outside of it to make your story work that's the whole point kind of is what you want to play in that because that's the familiar space right yeah for me for me and this is this is just a a thought right and and for each person it's different but as soon as your game starts you have no control over the story because that's that is inherently what these rpg systems are you're telling a collective story so it's not even if you as the gm as soon as you're as soon as you're like and you open up on this they could just start murdering everyone like you have no control over it right so because you have to embrace that lack of control and for me as soon as your game starts it is a different timeline it's a different thing like have fun explore your different things Pencils and Parsecs, we did all of this crazy stuff where like, you know, oh, they developed TIE Defenders before they were supposed to. And the the rebels found a a base of droids. Now they're cranking out rebel droids. And like, as soon as you embrace that and you're making it your own, that's the key. You've made it your own. And that's where like, that's where the most fun comes because we've had, you know, like you're gonna, you're gonna start to be like, oh man, but well, now that we've changed this, what about this? And what about this? You're on your own adventure. Like, go with it see where it takes you like that's the point um so don't ever be afraid that you don't know too much or you're concerned that you're going to alter something because then then just watch the movies like that's fine 
So guys, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much, my amazing panelists for joining us. Thank you for your questions and tuning in um, really quick. Go down the line really quick to say uh, where you can find you and anything you want to plug really quick. We'll start with, uh, with uh, Quiddy, Abria. Hi, I'm Abria Iyengar. You can catch me on social media at Quiddy, Q-U-I-D-D-I-E. You can catch me in half an hour over at Saving Throw Show playing New Pantheon, which is Demigod's actual play. Super exciting. Uh, other than that, that game happens uh, norm on normal non-con weeks every uh, Sunday at 4 p.m. On Mondays, you can catch me uh, over at twitch.tv slash dnd playing Lost Mine of Vandelver. And then eventually when Kodalot comes back, I'll always hold space for that and keep mentioning it so Zach gets really anxious about bringing that fucking show back there i said it i got the f-bomb it was mine <laughs> uh yeah you can find me on twitter at naeem stewart uh instagram naeem stewart you can also find me on hyper doing all sorts of stuff all sorts of stuff like stuff that's grim, grim dark dawn which is hopefully is coming back soon uh in terms of when this pandemic thing's over uh and also you can uh check us out in about an uh, hour and a half hour at uh, mass effect see the gen con episode that we've done and that we're really proud of on youtube so i'm yeah. sure the link is circulating in the chat so yeah check us out over there Bert. oh i'm on mute uh you can find <laughs> all of the past episodes of pencils of parsecs on hyper rpgs vod or on uh youtube uh just reiterating what naim said uh massive momentum we've started season two this is a great place to jump in this one off you don't need any sort of context just jump in have fun with us we'll be in the chat in an hour 30 minutes uh yeah. throwing eric. it to the next person there you go eric uh you can find me on twitter at 16 bit eric um and it's my twitch handle as well um and you can find me on monday nights at 6 30 p.m pt on q times where we're continuing to play star trek stories uh with most of the recast of shield of tomorrow returning for a whole new chapter and a whole new game awesome emily you can find me on Twitter at frankly underscore Emily. Additionally, you can find all the previous Rat Queens RPG episodes and the Witcher RPG episodes on the VODs and YouTube. Yep. Yeah. And then also, yeah, I'm in Mass Effect 2. Jump in the chat. It's gonna have a good we're gonna have a good time. Yeah. Uh and I'm Malika Lim Eubank. I am hello underscore Malika on Instagram and Twitter. My DMs are open, so send me all your questions. I love to help people out. And I am here Monday through Friday. And more because I live here, uh, right mm -hmm. here on this Twitch channel. So check it out. I like to cook and play games and be weird and show off my dog. It's awesome. Buddy. And I am the Mouseveto. You can find me on socials at the Mouseveto. You can also find me on Mass Effect Adventum in an hour and a half. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. It has been a blast. Enjoy the rest of Gen Con 2020 from home. And we'll see you guys on the other side of this next year. Only next year. <laughs>